And, you know, I feel like uh, with this book, like I'm so excited to get into it tonight. I hope you feel the same way. But it's like uh, that TV show when you're growing up and you had to wait till next week to get the next episode, you know. Same bat time, same bat channel. You remember that? (laughs) So uh, I'm excited about this tonight. So let's go uh, to the Lord in prayer. And let's, uh, because God's going to talk tonight. Really, he is going to talk tonight. So I'll tell you something funny about that in a minute. Lord, we thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for your long-suffering, your patience. We ask that uh, you would fill us with your word and your spirit, Lord, and get us prepared to live in these last days, Lord, that all the onslaught of things that are just all wrong. And you told us these days was coming, and they're here now. So just help us, Lord, to be faithful and give us the strength we need to be faithful, Lord. And we thank you for your love and mercy. And your long suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, th- chapter 37 is the youngest guy. We saw this last week. He waited until the last to talk. He respected his elders and, and gave them their say. And then he stepped up. And he's had a lot of good things to say. But once again, this don't necessarily apply to Job. <clears throat> and uh, so he's coming to the place here to finish his discourse. And then God's going to show up. God's going to show up in chapter 38. It says, at this, at this also, and this is Elihu, this is a young guy at the end here. He's giving his spiel, and this is the end of his talk. At this also, my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. Hold your spot there, and we'll uh, come back to that in just a moment. Turn over, if you would. To the book of Revelation. And let's listen to what John says. It's very similar to what uh, Elihu is saying here. Uh, it says. Um, let's, let's look at uh, verse uh, 7. It says, Behold, speaking of Jesus, he is coming with the clouds. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1, the very first chapter. Last book in the Bible. (laughs) The very last book in the Bible, but it's the first chapter. He says, behold, in verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I think... What's going to be a reality check for the world is this. And then for those who have died and have died without Christ, without following Christ, and have lived their lives haughty and separated from His will, I just think, of course, they probably, you know, anybody that's died lost has already figured that out when they went to a place of torment and they're in. But just looking at down. The runway. Think about this for a minute. Looking down the runway at the Lord on his throne, and instead of looking down there as your Savior, which is what you and I are going to do, we're going to be excited. Imagine looking down there and thinking, the judge is waiting on me. The judge that knows every thought, every deed, every motive. And none of which many people have repented about. Think about the long walk toward that throne 
somebody who's lost and getting ready to be sentenced. And there's no getting out of it, right? They tried that. He gave us an example of that. But Lord, when did we, when were you sick and we didn't come around? But Lord, when did we turn you away? Right? And so that hearing those things, you know, you're either going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, come on in. Or you're going to hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. And that's the dread. You imagine, just for a moment, and this should motivate us to win the loss, just for a moment, imagine what it's like to wake up on the other side and to know you missed it. You missed heaven. And I've been telling... Uh, everybody that I have to do with in all the circles of teaching and preaching and stuff, the most important thing we need to be focusing on right now is the lost. The time is running out. And we need to be reaching out to the lost. So he talks about the Lord's voice is thundering. And he says, he's coming and the tribes of the earth. I am Alpha and Omega and beginning and the end, says the Lord. Who is he uh, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now think about how big God is. Uh, some history says they tried to kill John, but they couldn't. And, and that's, you know, sometimes I'll make reference to the fact that I know now that you can be gone in an instant, right? But the other side of that coin is, I also know you ain't leaving here until God's through with you. That's the other side of my testimony, right? Yeah, I know you could be gone in a heartbeat, but I also know you should been gone and you ain't gone. <laughs> so, I mean, the good thing for us, the reason we can live without fear and in great confidence, we're not leaving here till God's done with us. Isn't that comforting? I mean, that, that is so much comfort. And, and I've lived that out, and, and I'm an example to you. We're not leaving here until God's finished with us. That should give us such great confidence in our God because he's already been around the corner before we get there. He said, and so John, they say they, some say they tried to put him in burning hot oil and he wouldn't die because God wasn't through with him. And of course, they all watched Paul that day. He got bit with that viper, and he should have died, right? Because they're like, let's watch him. He's getting ready to fall over. And then he didn't fall over, and they, they tried to make him a god, right? You know? And that snake, he just shook it off in the fire and kept rolling. And then he says, so John, John gets banished to the Isle of Patmos because they can't kill him because God ain't done. And then he writes probably one of the most prolific books in the whole Bible. So that just shows you how big God is. They, they want to keep him from influencing people, right? And now look at the book of Revelation. Half of Hollywood's built out of the book of Revelation. He's influenced everything with what God did with him out there on that island. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, to Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spoke of me. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Amidst the lampstands, 
one like the Son of Man. Listen to his description. Clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded with a chest with golden band. His head and hair were as white and like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Amen. I, I just, you know, want, now for those who are alive when the Lord comes back, can you imagine going against God? And a lot of people in our world are. A lot of them in this country are going against God right now in this, in this decision when it's time to support Abraham. Can you imagine looking up and there's Jesus coming? And you've resisted him, you've ignored him, you've turned away from him, you've disdained his will, and here he is, front and center. And so, let's go back to Job. He, he talks about God's mouth. He sends the forth under the heaven, the lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders, verse 5, marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. Listen closely to this, and I'm going to make a statement. We talked about it a little bit this morning. For he says to the snow, fall on the earth. Likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. He seals the hand of every man and then that all men may know his work. The beasts go into dens and remain in their lairs. From the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters the bright clouds. They swirl about being turned by his guidance that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction, or for his land, or for mercy. Sometimes rain brings blessing, and sometimes rain brings floods and destruction. Now I want to say this to you. Apart from anything else you know about God, I want to be like C.S. Lewis a little bit. He wrote Mere Christianity. He proved the existence of God without using one scripture to the intellectuals. And his argument was even an atheist differentiates between good and bad, right? They would say something's good and something's bad. Even an atheist would say that. Well, he does a masterful job of arguing where did that plumb line come from? Where did he get the basis to say that is good and who sets the standard? The Creator. Now, I'm going to make a statement to you, and I don't know that I've made it this way before until this morning. Whoever controls the weather is in charge. You think about it. Whoever, and he, he's telling us here, and we already knew this, he's telling us that God controls the weather. Whoever controls the rain spout, the snow, and you're going to see something else, here's something else here in just a minute that's Power, whoever controls the cloud. Because God could send an earthquake and swallow Danville up at this very moment. God could send enough rain and keep coming to where it cover the whole earth. Oh, he did that already. And promised he'd never do it again. Thank goodness, right? God could make 
hail come down, snow. He can paralyze a whole continent if he desires. The whole world. God's in charge of the weather and sometimes it brings us his mercy. And sometimes it brings us, as he said here, it brings correction. God gets our attention, right? So God's in charge of the weather. God could make it snow in Florida eight feet deep if he wanted to. He's the one that controls the laws of nature. So God, whoever controls the weather, think about it for a minute, is in charge. What happened in Israel? The prophet prayed because he knew God's word. And God said, when they turn to false gods, I'm going to turn the spigot off. And Isaiah coming in, or excuse me, Elijah come in agreement with that. And he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, right? But what happened? Because the one who controls the weather turned off the rain. We've seen in our lifetime what happens to whole countries in Africa. And even in our own country, we've seen some devastations of famine or dry times, I should say. But we've seen those commercials. I've seen them since I was a little boy of what happens to a land when God turns the water off. God can make it rain anywhere he wants to. He, he's able to do that. But there are so many countries, and here's what he said in Psalm, in the book of Psalms, he said, the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. That's exactly how it says it. So nations that turn to God, that start, or turn away from God, that start worshiping false idols, and we've done a lot of neglect and turning from God in the last 60 years in our own country. And if, if we keep moving that direction, we're going to face his wrath as well. God could just turn the rain off. He could stop photosynthesis here in Bull County, and all of us would be dead in just a moment. God is in charge of the weather. He's in charge of creation. He made it all. So he, that's why I believe Paul said, nature itself teaches you there's a God. He's in charge. He, he's going to talk about that himself here in just a minute. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you not know... When God dispatches them and causes the light of His cloud to shine, do you know how the clouds are balanced? How those wondrous works of Him. Now, these guys are smarter than a lot of folks today. They, they, it's, it's, it's disturbed. It's, it's the height of arrogance in our generation to think we can control the weather. That is the height of arrogancy to think that we can control the weather. And he, he says, he dispatched, do you know how clouds are balanced? The, the, those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Speaking of God, it's good statements. These are all good statements. Why are your garments hot when he quiets the earth by the south wind? So God can bring cold wind, south wind, and no country uh, sees that clearer than us. It seems like we have distinctions by that more than anybody. And he says, uh, with him have you spread out, uh, with him have you spread out the skies, strong as cast metal mirror. Uh, teach us what we should say to him, for we can prepare nothing because of the darkness. Should he, should he be told that I wish to speak? If a man were to speak, surely he would be swallowed up. Even now men cannot look at the light when it is bright in the skies, right? One of the first things you probably got told when you were young, don't go stare at the sun, don't stare at the sun, right? And these guys weren't dummies. 
They knew that too. They were, these guys weren't running around in the grizzly bear skin with a club. With no alphabet. They knew how to write. They knew how to talk. Even now, men cannot look at the light when it is bright in the skies, when, he, when the wind has passed and cleared them. He comes from the north as golden splendor. With God is awesome majesty. Now, Elihu, some point here, he's turned and just started glorifying God. Smart move. <laughs> Instead of worrying about Job and trying to figure out what's wrong with Job, he's turned and started glorifying God. As for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is excellent in power, in judgment, and abundant justice. He does not oppress, therefore men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. See, they knew these principles. They knew who God was. They were just waiting on his, to send his son. And what was, what's happened into this new covenant is that as God sent his son to us, now we can have that personal relationship. This is something they weren't fully engaged in like we have in the New Testament. They knew who God was. They knew what he was responsible for. They knew he was almighty. But they didn't have the same, uh, the veil, they, didn't, they couldn't go behind the veil like we can in the New Testament. And so there's a shift in how this relationship has come to us in the New Testament with the Holy Spirit not just being around, but actually being inside of us. That, that was God's desire and design to live inside of us. It's amazing, really, to think that God would do that with humans. Because we're so unworthy and so unclean compared to who God is. For him to desire to come into our lives and take up residence in us is simply beyond being able to express. How, how much an awesome, pure, holy, all-knowing, all-powerful God desires a personal relationship with each one of us and desires to live inside of our lives. I mean, that's nothing short of a miracle. That God would do that. And for him to just constantly be loving us and forgiving us along our journey. is just It's just amazing how much God loves us and cares about us. Now I'm going to play you the next 24 verses over the loudspeaker here. And let's turn it up pretty good because I want them to hear God talking. <laughs> uh, I, Keith uh, has got this app, the same app I've got and. I asked him to load this. I asked him if he had 38 loaded, and I caught him off guard. <laughs> he, said, he said, I caught him off guard if his 38 was loaded. And I, and I said, I'm sorry, that was a loaded question, wasn't it? <laughs> so I want you to just kind of give your mind to this for a moment. Just nobody looking at your phone. Don't be distracted or anything. Just, just if you want to close your eyes, just listen to this. And listen how God steps into this moment. Because this voice is way better than mine. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. 
for who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it. It takes on form, like clay under a seal, and stands out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And darkness where is its place that you may take it to its territory that you may know the paths to its home do you know it because you were born then or because the number of your days is great have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail which I have reserved for the time of trouble for the day of battle and war. By what way is light diffused, or the east wind scattered over the earth? So God steps in here, and he starts questioning them about things they can't know. I want to say to you, and I'm going to say it to a smart aleck, proudful, high-minded generation. We're still in this same spot. We don't know this stuff. I don't care how nice our phones are. Or how many computers they come out with. God is in charge. He has all knowledge. We have very limited knowledge. How many of you are, have, have you've gotten older over the years, realize you don't know near as much as you thought you knew? As we get older. And we're learning. And thank God for that. But sometimes I run across something. Uh, just I, I've got something that's really driving me right now. The last two days I've been digging and digging. trying Because in Amos he said for four transgressions. I'm going to destroy Gaza. I'm going to wipe them out. And I'm wondering what are those four transgressions. And they're, I've been digging. But I'm having a hard time finding what all he's talking about there. We, we don't know what we do know. And this is the beauty of being a believer. 
What we do know is we know God is in charge. When the game's over, pardon my analogy, when the game's over, He's going to get all the pieces to Monopoly board and fold the board up, put it back in His box and take it back to His throne. He's in charge. We know that. We're confident of that. We have a personal relationship with Him. He's going to win. I don't, I don't know how else to explain this to the world, and I know our voice is carrying a lot of places now, and I'm talking to everybody that's listening to me or gets this podcast. He, God is going to win. And let me tell you what that means. That means the church, the true believer, the Christian, they're going to win. It means Israel is going to return to God, and they're going to win. Everything else that's not a believer in God and His Son is going to lose. You're not going to be able to talk God into something. You're not going to get Him to feel sorry for you because the Bible said anybody that nailed His only begotten Son to a tree and let Him go through everything He went through just to save our necks, He's not going to be moved by empathy towards somebody that has some kind of excuse. And while I'm talking about excuses to the world now, if you're looking for one, Satan will find you one. He will hand you one. He'll, he'll make sure you get an excuse of why you can walk out on God or not embrace God or do your own thing or not live up to His Word. But I'm telling you, we're all going to stand for, before God someday and the people who are going to be left standing because God is going to win this. It's, it's, he's going to win it. I, I don't care how discouraged you may be tonight or if things aren't going your way or if you think the world is, is going to turn over. Listen, God's going to show up. He's going to put an end to sin. He's going to put an end to iniquity. He's going to shut down the devil once and for all. He's going to destroy the Antichrist and all of his kingdom. And everybody who's not accepted Jesus Christ and followed him is going to wind up in the lake of fire. That's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. And so the good news for us as we study something like this, it gives me such great confidence. And I want to just point some stuff out here in these verses I, I let you listen to. He's taking credit for, uh, you know, laying the earth out, asking, asking Job, and I guess the others are hearing it too, where are you guys at when all this is going on? How he, and look here, he says, we're all tore up about the oceans, right? We're all disturbed. People are all disturbed. He said, I told the oceans they, they can only go so far. He said, I got them right here. They're, they can only go so far. And he already promised us that he wouldn't flood the whole earth again. So that's not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. People that are running around saying that are liars. Is God, either God's true or the scientists are true. And the greatest scientist that ever lived is God. And the second greatest scientist that ever lived is Moses and probably Job and his friends here. Because they knew who made everything. They laid it out. They understood. Moses understood that the rabbit chewed the cud. When scientists didn't understand that. Right? And so because he got his information from the Creator. Imagine that. Who's got to be the greatest scientist in the world? It's the Creator. And then something else I want to point out to you here. Look what he says Have you in verse 22. Have you entered the treasury of snow? So God's got snow. Right? Uh, isn't that funny? If you go by some of these maintenance garages on some of these big interstates, they got stuff piled up to combat the snow, and God's got snow piled up to just drop it down. <laughs> Here, we're always fighting it, right? And God's like, oh, turn loose of some of the snow. Get some snow out of the warehouse. We're sending it down to Kentucky. <laughs> and he drops it. And then we're storing up stuff to try and combat that. But oh, oh, God's, God has got snow. Look at this next line. He says, have you entered the treasury? 
Or have you seen the treasury of hell, which I have reserved for the time of trouble? Now he's referring, God is referring to the tribulation period there. The great tribulation. You know why? Because the Bible in Daniel and other places calls it a time of Jacob's trouble. God said, I've got hell. And if you read the book of Revelation, right? You see that hell, fire, and brimstone is coming down. He, he says, I've got hell, uh, which I've reserved for the time of trouble, uh, for the day of battle and war. See, that's what's going to be going on. That's, what, that, that's going to be going on at Armageddon. God's got the storehouse. He's, he's not making it. He's got it already stored up. What's that tell us? That uh, everything's sure. It's going to happen exactly like he said it was. Armageddon's going to happen. The Bible says that the horses will be up to, the, the, to their bridles in blood. Now, a couple of thoughts about that is that I don't know necessarily the horses will be treading blood that deep, but to think how much blood there has to be for it to be covering the horses' bridles. Either way, I mean, but most theologians believe that there's just going to be so much blood that the horses are going to be tearing through that so much blood. You know, it's one thing to spill a little bit of blood and, and it get on the hooves of the horses. But it's another thing to have so much blood, they're just slinging it up all over each other's bridles. That's a lot of blood. And then the battle before Armageddon is Ezekiel 38, where God actually does some supernatural stuff in there as well. And the Bible, there's an earthquake and all that part of that war. And then the Bible says that, that it'll take seven months to bury the dead. That's a long time to bury the dead. And so God's got stuff stored up. This thing, in fact, if, I, if we took you back to Revelation, over there it says there are angels, some angels bound in the river Euphrates. They're bound down there. And they're appointed for a day, a month, an hour that God's going to loose them. And these demonic angels that are fallen angels are so evil, they wipe out hordes of people when they're loose from the river Euphrates. So somewhere under the river Euphrates, there's some angels bound that are going to be released during that great year, those seven years of great tribulation. Going to be a lot of stuff going on that people don't... God's going to start emptying his storehouses... For this hell and brimstone, he's going to start dumping all that out. And so what happens, and we're, we've talked about some of this with Revelation and on Sunday. So the, the world, let me, let me draw this on, on my board here. The time, there's going to be, now I get this question a lot. Is there not going to be trouble before the great tribulation? Have you been living the last three years? <laughs> there is trouble. People have been dying. People, you know, it's just crazy. The world's upside down. There's wars and rumors of wars. There was an earthquake in Texas this morning. There's earthquakes all over the world now. And Jesus said they'd be in divers or different places. Earthquakes, the earth is groaning for redemption, right? I believe it's groaning for redemption. It's, it's wanting out of this sinful state. So there's going to be plenty of tribulation leading up to these. The, this is called the great tribulation, right? So there's going to be plenty of tribulation leading up to that. But what's going to happen probably just prior to the, the great tribulation, there's going to be a false peace. And, and because this Antichrist is going to come on the scene 
and make a deal with Israel, give them some peace and security, at least it appears that way, and settle the world down. The reason the world is, is amping up right now is because it's getting set up for the Antichrist. So I don't look for the world to calm down. I look for the world to get worse. And you, you see it. You see it. These clashes, we had a couple of Jewish people already killed in our country, one in Michigan and one out in California. Two Jewish people killed by the mobs or the, the, the protesters. So we, we're already seeing it. It's already hit our homeland. And we're kind of out of the fray, right? And we've been Israel's best friend, right? And, and we're hanging on to that, and I'm thankful for that. But it's everywhere. We, we've watched these, all and this is only going to ramp up. And I'm thinking, why would people in Russia hate Israel so bad? Where'd that come from? But they're pro everywhere. It's a hatred for the Jews. Notice that. It's even in South America, there are people that are hating on the Jews. Because this is a conflict between God and Satan. God raised up Abraham, as I've told you many times, he wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. But God said, this is the line I'm going to use, right? And I'm going to send my only begotten son through that. So the devil hated that line and he's turned the whole world, or he will turn the whole world against him because the Bible does say that. So there'll be a false peace. And the Bible says once that false peace has kind of run its course, he says then sudden destruction. There'll be, it'll be a lie. So the Antichrist is going to come in here and he's going to have a false peace. That first horse has a bow but no arrows, right? You notice that when we studied Revelation. He don't have any arrows because he's got a level of authority and he's showing his authority by having that bow, but he's not conquering with military might. He's conquering with lies and false covenants. That's how the Antichrist starts off. He starts off lying to Israel and, and giving false hope to the rest of the world. And the world starts looking to him because he kind of calms everything down, right? I mean, if you've got a war in Ukraine, you've got a war in, in, in the Middle East. And now people are shooting at Americans and we're starting to fire back in Syria and different places. Before this thing's over, that whole area may be in a war, including us. And so all that's going on. So the Antichrist shows up and says, hey, let's calm this down, whoever this guy's going to be. But here's what I wanted to show you. And this goes back to what we're looking at here in Job. These first three and a half years, some point the Antichrist is going to start turning on everybody and start trying to take over the world. And he has some opposition. The Bible talks about some of his opposition. But for the most part, he controls the world. And, and you can see that all getting set up, Right? The scans, the, the, somebody was telling me that here in Danville just about two months ago that they were in a place of business and they were the next in line to pay and the guy in front of them uh, was paying before them and when the, the little kiosk or the credit card thing, now where you can just lay your card on there, right? And just, well, this guy laid his hand on there instead of his card. He belongs to a world bank that's already chipped him out. He was in Danville. So we're getting set up, but what happens, Antichrist, then all of a sudden, in the middle of the tribulation, God shows up. And he starts unleashing his judgment on the earth. And that's when people start running and hiding, and the Antichrist's kingdom's getting destroyed. People actually wind up hating on God even more, some of them do. They shake their fist at him and curse God. Instead of repenting, 
and turning to God. So when you read things like this in Job and you see that God's, you see his plan laid out for the great tribulation in the book of Revelation, some of these prophets in the Old Testament, you see how everything, even these guys, this wasn't the, the, the process. The book of Job was written to encourage all of us that when we have troubled times or when we don't understand to just keep hanging in there, right? To do not give up. That's, that's why. But I'll, I'll guarantee you just listen to some of the things that are coming out here about the constellations and about God's storehouses and about science and about the flood, things that they knew. They probably knew stuff about the end of time too. They, these guys weren't dummies. He says, and, and he says, by the way, in verse 24, is light diffused or the east wind scattered over the earth. Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on the land where there is no one? I mean, God makes it rain out there and nobody's out there, right? Like the rainforest, places like that. A wilderness in which there is no man. So God's taking care of the beasts. He's taking care of the animals. He's in charge. To satisfy the desolate waste, to cause a spring forth to grow of, of tender grass. Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice and, and frost of heaven? Who gives it birth? The waters harden like stone, and the surface of the deep is frozen like a rock, right? If you remember back in the 70s when we got snows and freezes, you could walk all the way across the creek where we lived. The ice would get so thick. We played hockey on it with a skull can and a stick. We made a hockey puck out of a skull can. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and got sticks and gotten fights and everything, just like they do. <laughs> uh, can you bind the cluster of Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? They've already mentioned the constellation before. Can you bring out uh, Maseroth in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? We don't even want to mess with the bear and its cubs. That's one way to get taken out of here. Do you know the ordinances uh, of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? It's amazing that God's in control. He watches everything. He knows where everything's at. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Uh, God, again, telling us who's in charge here, right? Who has put wisdom in the mind or who has given understanding to the heart? Now think about that. Think about that. Uh, let's, in fact, hold your place there. And let's go back to uh, the book of Daniel real quick. Flip over to the book of Daniel. And let's go to, uh, let's go to chapter 4, I believe, is where I want to take you. He talks about who gives understanding, right? Now, this is powerful, uh, powerful stuff. <clears throat> where Nebuchadnezzar uh, gets in trouble. Let's go to chapter 3. <clears throat> Let me start in chapter 3. Uh, he says he made, uh, uh, he made an image and he wanted everybody uh, to bow down to it. So he throws the, 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 the three Hebrew boys into the furnace. Uh, and then he goes to the furnace and checks these guys out. And then he gives God praise about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then he goes into chapter 4 and he has this dream. And then look at verse 4 of chapter 4. He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree 
to bring in all the wise men of Babylon to me, that they might make known me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers come in. I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. All right? But at last, he said, Daniel came before me. His name, they named him Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, little g. And him is the spirit of the holy God. And of course, they'd already seen evidence of that, right? Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hadn't been hurt by the fire. So that was the first witness to Nebuchadnezzar and the people in Babylon. Or one of the greatest witnesses. He said, I told the dream, saying, Belshazzar in verse 9, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret. Now, he called him a holy God. It's interesting that they use that because Israel was told to live different. So there, this, the, the way they lived had had an impact on other people, right? And he said, I know no secret troubles you. Explain to me the vision. And he said he was, uh, gives him the vision. And, and as he gives the vision, Daniel explains him to the dream. I'm not going to read all that. Uh, and so look at verse 28. After they explain the dream, Nebuchadnezzar still got pride in him. And he says, at the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling for my mighty power, for the honor of my majesty? So he, instead of giving God credit for letting him be in charge, he takes it. And look what it says. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they will drive you out from men, and your dwelling will be with the, wild, with the beast of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of heaven and gives it to whomever he chooses. So whoever's in charge, whoever is president or in Russia here in America, it's all part of God's plan. He puts in who he wants to in to fulfill his plan. And he says, all this happened. <clears throat> and he said, look at verse 34. And at the end of the time, after the seven years is over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Look at what he said. And my understanding returned to me. You realize what God did to him? He took away his sanity. He just took it. He was like an animal. So here's what we need to do. We need to stay humble. I, don't, I know you may be good at what you do, and you may have had a good career, and you may make things happen. But I'm going to tell you right now, if God didn't open doors for us, none of us would get anything done. The Bible says, which one of us have anything we didn't receive? In other words, everything we've got has come from God's hand. That ought to keep us humble. Nebuchadnezzar was not humbled, but he got humbled. And he said, look at this. He said, my return to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. So he got the picture and he went on to testify about God. So God is talking here. He says, who gives the wisdom to the mind, right? He says in verse 36, Who has put wisdom in the mind? Or who has given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Who can pour out the bottles of heaven when the dust hardens in clumps and the clods cling together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens and lurk in their lairs to lie in wait? Who provides food for the raven when its young ones cry to God? And wander about for lack of food. Now that's, that's pretty powerful when you think about God is out there orchestrating all that. He's keeping the ravens alive. He's keeping the lions alive. He's keeping the dolphins alive. The sharks alive. He's keeping everything alive. 
God's keeping the trees alive. Everything. I mean, that's phenomenal how he is. He said, do you know when, uh, when the old mountain goats bear young? Hey, Job. When are you, where are you at when the goats are in their maternity ward out here? Or can you mark when the deer gives birth? Where are you at when the deer's giving birth? Can you number the mouse uh, that they fulfill? Uh, the months? Or do you know the time uh, when, the bear, uh, when they bear young? They bow down. They bring forth their young. They deliver their offspring. Their young ones are healthy. They grow strong with grain. They depart and do not return to them. Just like... Who set the wild donkey free? Who loosed the bonds of the onager? Whose home have I made with the wilderness and the barren land his dwelling? He scorns the tumult of the city. He does not heed the shouts of the driver. The range of the mountains in his pasture, he searches after every green thing. Will the wild ox be willing to serve you? Will he bed by your manger? Can you bind the wild ox in the furrow with ropes? Or will he plow the valleys behind you? Will you trust him because his strength is great? Or will you leave your labor to him? Will you trust him to bring home your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but her wings and pinions like the kindly storks are the wings like the kindly storks. For she leaves her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust. She forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them. She treats her young harshly as though they were not, air, were not hers. Her labor is in vain without concern because God deprived her of wisdom and did not endow her with understanding. When she lifts herself on high, she scorns the horse and its rider. Have you given the horse strength? Have you closed its neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like a locust? His majestic snorting strikes terror. He paws the valley and rejoices in his strength. He gallops and clashes the arm. You know, the horse is an amazing thing. And if a horse wanted to turn on a human without us having a gun or something, we'd be in trouble. I watched this video of this, you know, everybody's got this pit bull, you know, what kind of reputation they got. This pit bull is on this chain and he's agitated because this guy's unloading a horse. And he's got a German shepherd down there making rounds with him. And he's trying to get this horse off the horse trailer. Finally, that pit bull breaks the chain and runs down there. And I'm watching this video and I'm thinking, that pit bull's going to go after that German shepherd. And it's going to be a horrible dogfight, right? No, the pit bull, as dumb as he is, decides to go after the horse. And the horse senses what's going around. And he, you've ever seen a horse dance? He done a little dance, got himself in position, kicked that pit bull, game over. Because of the strength in his legs. The power in his mind. It's, it's really amazing how God has made all these animals. And how, how majestic some are. And how dumb some are. Right? Like that pit bull. <laughs> who, who told him it was okay to go in on a horse? <laughs> it's not a poodle, buddy. And so uh, he's given the horse strength. Closed his neck. Can frighten like... Confronting him like a locust, magic, his snorting, he paws the valley, he gallops into the clash of arms, he mocks at fear and horses, you know, they don't have much fear. He is frightened, nor does he turn back from the sword, the, the quiver rattles against him, the glittering spear and javelin, he devours the distance with fierceness and rage, nor does he come to a halt because the trumpet has sounded. 
At the blast of the trumpet, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar and the thunder of the captains and shouting. Does the hawk fly by your wisdom? I mean, what do you think these guys are doing at this point? Uh, I feel like they're like Sergeant Schultz, right? I know nothing. I know nothing. He said, said, the hawk can fly by your wisdom, spread its wings toward the south. Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high? How many of you ever studied the eagle? Eagles are amazing. They don't eat roadkill like a lot of these birds. They eat fresh food. They catch fresh fish. And this is for cell phones. I, I love to, to wade rivers. That's one of my favorite things to do as far as fishing, to get in the river in September and October and wade. One day, we, we'd always get right before the sun breaks so you could step right in that river as soon as that fog was rising. And we got over there, and as soon as we were getting ready to step in the river, we saw this eagle just circling. He was way up, about two, and then he would circle a little bit lower, a little bit lower, and then he got about 50 feet off that river and didn't have a cell phone to capture all this. It was before cell phone. He nosedive. He hit that river from about 50 feet in the air, come up out there with a fish. Amazing. Never, one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. Pro, never see it again. Once in a lifetime thing, right? But they eat fresh food. They mate for life. They don't change partners. They have the same partner. And that, that they build on the rock. They like to build their nest in the rock if they got a chance. The, the female eagle will test the guy before she marries him, <laughs> make sure he's worthy. And he has to practice catching sticks in the air and bearing them up on his wings because when they kick those young out of the nest, if they don't fly right away, the dad's got to catch them in the air and bring them back to the nest. A lot of stuff going on. And then sometimes eagles can be mopers. They call it a moping eagle. They get down the valley, and they get, they, their feathers start getting matted together. Their beaks grow calcium to where they can't feed, and they become prey because they're stuck in the valley. Well, these other eagles will rally around him, and they will keep trying to guard him and keep encouraging him and pushing him. And they will try to take food and put it in his beak and try to get his strength back. And over time, if they're successful at that, he will get back his strength, his, his feathers will get back to normal, and he'll take his own beak and beat it on the rock and get that calcium off, and he'll scream to the top of his lungs that he's overcome, basically. And he overcame because his brothers rallied around him. There's a lot we can learn. That's why God uses the eagle as a, such a wonderful picture for us, and it's a great emblem for our country to have. Because of that. This is amazing to me how God makes all these animals and the things he does. Uh, he says, the rock, it dwells, resides, the crag of the rock. Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high on the rock it dwells? And the eagles also have two sets of eyelids. They got a pair of sunglasses. That when they, but one of the ways they get away from a predator is they can flip those first set down like shades and flying directly to the sun, other birds can't do that. And so they've got a way to fly toward the sun when other birds would have to turn away. I mean, God, they are majestic. That lion, God, you can tell that God made some things, in, even in the animal kingdom, to be majestic. The horse, the lion, the eagle, you know, and not the copperhead. <laughs> 
uh, of the rock. He dwells beside uh, the crag of the rock and the stronghold. They love to build in the cliffs and have the, the protection. They're very... From there he spies out the prey. His eyes observe the, from afar. His young ones suck up blood. And where the slain are, there he is. You think about how eagles are hunters and fishers and how they get fresh food. They don't just eat anything. And that's a lesson to all of us, right? I love the book of Job because it reminds us, and we're almost finished here. Uh, we'll finish next week most likely. But I love it because it does a lot for us. It reminds us of who's in charge. It reminds us that even though we got hard times, hanging in, and you're going to see that next week, hanging in there is worth it. The Bible says in Galatians, we'll reap in due season if we don't get weary and faint. God can use anybody but a quitter. Look at the Bible. He used all kinds of rough guys. Moses was a murderer. Abraham got ahead of God and tried to do it his way. David was a murderer. Uh, you could guess Moses lost his temper. out. In the, I mean, all these guys were flawed, but God used all of them. What did they all have in common? They refused to quit. God can use anybody but a quitter. If you and I don't show up, we can't be used. So let's hang in there. Days are going to get tougher. I've been telling you that. How long have I been saying, cheer up, saints, it's going to get worse? <laughs> we've seen that, haven't we? But we've also seen how good God's been to us. We've been blessed around here. And so we are. It's an awesome time to be alive. And God let us be alive now. You and I. In this critical juncture, we ought to step up and do what he's asked us to do. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you for this book. It means so much to us because it keeps us from feeling sorry for ourselves. Lord, when we think we're going to feel sorry for ourselves, all we need to do is look back on Job and all that he went through. It also encourages us because we know we have the whole story. So we know the backdrop and we see how this unfolds. We see how you're getting... People cleaned up along the way and things have to come out of us. To, and then we see the reward of what happens to Job by him not turning his back on you no matter what he faced. We love you, Lord, and we honor you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm.